Hello, my name is Jim McGreevy, and thank you for joining with us with Second Chances. And today is Sunday, September 26, and it's a it's a great honor to be with uh, someone who embodies the spirit of Second Chances, who has his own fascinating story of involvement, and it was also uh, the nephew of what I believe to be is one of the great character actors in the history of American film. Um, our dear friend, Michael K. Williams. And so, um, Dom, I mean, the, the, the first thing is, um, how about, what's your, what, what, what's a, a great, healthy, good memory of you and Michael? What's a happy wow. memory? Wow, a, a, a happy memory of Michael and I um, was actually shortly before he died, we were, shooting a new docu-series called Black Market season two. And we had an opportunity to uh, be together in Mexico. Uh, and we just had a great time and we had dinner and we had an opportunity to work out together in the gym. And it was just, um, it was it was just an amazing time spending, spending that time with him in Mexico for close to two weeks. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that's a recent, like just great, moment that I, moment, that I have. Yeah. Well, what, what, can I ask you, what was your favorite uh, character that Michael played? Uh, for me, it was Freddie Knight. Uh, and I Interesting. Think, yeah, the night of. If, if, you know, one of the things I learned was that when you look at the night of, there were things, you know, Eddie's, um, his, his influence, Freddie Knight's influence, uh, in the criminal justice system and as he worked to, you know, help people survive in the belly of the beast was uh, yeah. something that stood out to me. And what I later learned by, you know, looking at some press reports was that Michael used some aspects of my my experience in prison to help breathe life into that character. So that that was that was one of my favorites, definitely. Yeah, that was interesting that he because of your own experience, he was able to to benefit from that growth and from those stories and whatever. What, like, I'm old fashioned. What did you think of Omar? You know what? I, I thought that Omar was just an amazingly interesting character. His, his ability to um, toe the line in the streets and, and have skin in the game and still, Amen. still respect, um, you know, people in the community that, you know, they called him the Robin Hood of the community. Yeah. They still respect this idea on Sunday mornings, like certain things were just not going to happen underneath his watch because that was, you know, that was a day that we fellowshiped him in a day of worship. And I, and I yep. just, I just thought that that was amazing about, about Omar. Wasn't it great about Omar is like Omar enforced like some really healthy, good rules. Integrity. It was, you know, that was that was really important to to Omar and and what was also really important to him is how he loved people and how he supported and was loyal to people and their causes and even though in the character he may not have always you know engaged in you know god got like behavior but there was also a part of him that understood that integrity was important and loyalty was important and and I love that about the character Omar Devon Little. So tell me about 
Brooklyn, about New York. I mean, when I think of The Wire, obviously I think of Baltimore. I think of um, the scenes from The Wire, the scenes from the city, the scenes from public housing, the scenes from the port. What are the what's the city that most shaped you and shaped Michael? Yeah, it was it was right here in Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> specifically East Flatbush. Yeah. Also known at the time as uh, Vanderveer Estates, one of the toughest uh, housing areas and and Flatbush to 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 police. And, you know, we we grew up in a, in a rough neighborhood with some really challenged with some huge challenges and a lot of young people of color who were underserved were facing some of the same things that we were facing, like lack of education and lack of resources, lack of employment. And that was a recipe for disaster in the crack era. Yeah. You know? uh, but we still found a way to overcome those things. And like Michael would say, uh, stand on each other's shoulders. And so when you think about Flatbush and you think about growing up, what is the thing that, what was the greatest asset or strength of that neighborhood and what was the greatest weakness? Uh, I think the greatest strength was that we could rely on each other and that we could support each other and love up on each other despite, you know, the poverty that where was you were in our community, yep. yeah, where we was at. But uh, so that was, those are one of the great, things that I, I feel about Flatbush and just growing up. And some of the, some of the problems or challenges was a lack of resources. The way we, we, the way we were being policed wasn't the same way people were being policed in Long Island or Staten Island. And the resources were not there yeah. in Flatbush, Vanderbilt, the same way it was in some of the other affluent communities in New York. And that was a huge problem. And I think that remains a problem in a lot yeah. of underscore communities. So, so tell me about like what it means to be and what were the opportunities or what were the challenges to be a young African-American male? And, and what, what were some of the challenges? I mean, and what were, who were some of the role models? Yeah, I mean, some of the biggest challenges was being Black and being poor. Yeah. <laughs> and so those. And what, and what, know, and what does that mean? What that means is, is that we were a community that was marginalized and did not have the same resources as other affluent communities. And that was problematic. And when you uh, say resources, being, what do you mean in terms of sports centers, in terms of schools, in terms of? Yeah, I'm talking about those things that you mentioned, uh, but also the, you know, we live in a capitalist society and, you know, the the funding that would be needed to develop those things that you talked about just wasn't there and nobody yeah. cared that they weren't, th that they yeah. were not there. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously that had to limit what was in front of you that had, to, that, that had to limit what you thought your possibilities were. I mean, you didn't think about working for Goldman Sachs. You didn't think about maybe going to law school. You didn't think maybe about, you know, studying science because, I mean, those options just weren't like in the neighborhood. Am I absolutely, right? Or? Absolutely, absolutely correct. I mean, we, 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 we worried about our next meal. You know, we worried about, you know, our next glass of water. We worried about, you know, this idea that we were, you know, one paycheck away from being homeless. 
And and even to this day, you know, you see all these people worrying about this and worrying about that. You know, in a pandemic, people are concerned about, you know, whether they're going to eat or have clothing. They're going to school, being a lawyer. I mean, you know, we're worried about surviving until the age of 18 or 21. Yeah. Those are yeah. the things that we worry about in poor communities across the globe. And, you know, like I said, we I think we can do better and we should do better as a society. And unfortunately, um, you know, I just think that we're not we haven't arrived yet and there's a lot more work to do yeah so how so how did michael break out how did you break out yeah i mean so one of the things that i think helped us survive was we had a tight-knit family who who um realized that we needed to be a community and to support each other and to love each other and help each other get through some of these huge hurdles you know, Michael dealt with a lot of things. Uh, I believe the arts saved Michael's life and he was able to bring, uh, breathe life into his characters, turn his pain into art. And that that that's that's how Michael got out. As far as me, uh, as you know, I a lot of my life was spent two, over two decades in a max, maximum security prisons all across New York State. And Michael supported me and I had, my family supported me and I, thankfully survived that and received the commutation and was the subject of a documentary that Michael produced called Raised in the System. But none of that would have been possible. None of that could have happened if I didn't have the love and support of my family. And I'm going to just say this because I think it's really important. Michael always believed that the cure, the medicine to the world's problems was love. Yep. All we need to do is love upon each other. All we need to do is love each other and support each other and want the same thing for other people that we want for ourselves and for our family. So, so when you, when you think of Michael and you think of you spending time in, in New York state prisons, how did he, how did he react to that? How did he respond to that? I mean, that was traumatic. That was traumatic for Michael to know that his nephew whom he loved and helped rear up and support had been in a situation where he was going to be taken away from him and the rest of our family for decades at a time. And that that was hurtful. Uh, how he coped with that was to continue to keep a line of communication open with me through visits and phone calls and letters and to make sure that my family, uh, we as a family collectively did the things that we needed to do so that we could overcome that situation. And what's interesting is I was thinking about this this morning as I got up that, uh, I would still be in prison right now had I not received the commutation and my family and us would even have more of a hurdle, you know, dealing with some of the dynamics of, of uh, Michael's death. So that your commutation helped you get to a, get you out. Uh, so when you think of like you being in prison and Michael giving a damn, what's the thing that he did? What, what's the thing that you remember most about him caring? Was it a letter? Was it him showing up? Was it just his faith in you? It was It was all of those things. It was all of those things. Michael uh, supported me. He supported my ideas. He supported the work. He created a foundation he, for making kids win. He, yeah, he was I was going to talk about that. Like, he really, like, he really got it. Like, why did he get it so much? Um, I think he got it because a lot of 
our experiences was Michael's experiences. That's why. I mean, he had skin in the game. He realized that yep. the only way that we could be successful was to be welcome to the same communities that we lived in. Michael never believed in this idea, you know, I'm going to be successful so I can get out. I'm going to yeah. be successful so I can do this. Michael believed that the real honor was to come, come back to those same communities that we lived and were reared up in and grew up in and to yeah. be welcomed back. And this idea that to get out, uh, Michael often said, where are we going to? We, yeah. We're, and, getting um, out of, we're getting out of where and we're going to where. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and for me, my plan was simple. It was not only to get out, but to stay out. And that was, that was a true level of success. That was a true conversation about success, not just getting out of prison, but staying out of prison but having the ability to visit prisons and jails all across the country to create all across the country. Yeah. Right, a, a, a catalyst for a conversation about changing policies. And, you know, we, we were doing that. So when, when you think about you and you think about Michael changing that conversation, it's, you know, you get a sense of why you were doing it, why Michael was doing it. Where did you want the conversation to go to? Like if, if, you keep the conversation going. What do you want the conversation to look like at the end of the day? We, we, our plan at the end of the day was to break the cycle and to shift the culture. And, and what does that, that can is, you talk a little bit about? What, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, breaking the cycle means generations of generations of young black and brown kids who come from underserved communities um, not ending up in prison. It meant working hard to get those resources in our communities so that we can help children. It yeah. meant owning things and, you know, using our skill set to be employable. Those are the things that it meant as far as breaking a cycle. And we were committed to doing that. And, and we understood that, that that meant that we needed to go to, the, go to distance and we needed to partner with some of these systems of oppression that we were relying on to uh, to help us figure it out. But we needed to find ways to partner with them and help them understand that if we're going to do this, we all need to work together. Yeah, I, I was amazed when I was, when I think I was, my daughter was with me, Jacqueline was with me when we were in Brooklyn and, and like, like Michael was hanging out with the, with the police, with the police chief and you, and you guys were like, obviously, had a close relationship and all the kids were there and the marching band and the, and the music. I mean, it was like you were doing it in real time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what we did. It, it's important to, to uh, shift. The so culture. it wasn't just, it just wasn't like an intellectual, like, absolutely not. I don't mean to be disrespectful, fancy conversation, but it was real. Oh, I mean, there were like there are kids there that that were the band was there, the police were there, the community leaders were there. Like you were recreating a real community. This was this wasn't just like talk. This was real. Like people were breaking bread together, talking to each other, sharing with each other, talking about community. That's the only way that you can break the cycle by being real. That's the only way that you can shift culture by being real, having uncomfortable conversations with people that you never thought that you would 
be having conversations with. And you can't do that. The You can't accomplish that by fake pumping. You can't accomplish yep. that by window dressing and all of that. You, you have to be present in the moment. You have to be, you have to make yourself relevant and you have to talk about issues that could be uncomfortable. You have to try to understand people's different views or perspective. And for me, you know, we learned everything's about proximity, right? Like how yep. close are you to, um, to dealing with some of these real issues? But I also learned that, you know, those who were once closest to the problem are probably closest to the solution. And we have to, we have to be willing to engage. We have to be willing to have those conversations if we're going to accomplish anything. So when you, when you look at chaos, when you look at addiction, when you look at violence, what do you think New Jersey needs to do more of? What what do you think we should be doing more of to address some of these problems? I think I think a a lot of what should be happening is more of what you're doing now. Uh, I know the amazing work that's happening underneath your leadership and your staff, and and your commitment to to help people. And We've been time. to New Jersey multiple times. We've we have seen your commitment we have had the the privilege of working with you and other leaders thank you for saying that dom i mean it's it's you and michael as as our ambassadors i mean like you know your presence michael's presence spoke volumes not only because like you know Jacqueline thought it was so cool. I was hanging with Dominic and Michael Gay Williams. I'm not so cool. But I mean, it was just also what it said to to young men and young women in the community. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no worries at all. I mean, that's, listen, thank you. Thank you. And Michael would say that and and I would, and I'm going to continue to uh, reaffirm the work, the positive an amazing work that you're doing. So no, thank you for being committed. Thank you for your willingness to continue to do this work and to continue to be focused on people who um, a lot of people don't focus on. They don't focus on the need. And, you know, and as ambassadors, we were honored to have that opportunity to be able to to do that and, and honor the work that you and your staff are doing. So no, thank you. No, so no, I... I more great. So when 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 Dominic's looking at his life and looking at you know growing up and you look at prison and you look at Michael K. Williams and and you're looking at everything you've done and everything you get to, what's the message? If you could have blast out one message to America, one message to New York, New Jersey, young people, what would that message be? Sort of like your life has been fascinating because you've like lived it in real time. What's the, you know, sort of what's the acquired wisdom? What's the life experience? What are you saying to people now at this point in your life? I'm saying to people that I am you. And please don't think because, you know, Michael's job or because, you know, the some of the work that I've had the privilege to participate in and film that I am any different from you. I wake up with the same challenges, the same issues. And um, what I would say to the world is, and to, to anyone who is feeling down on your luck is that, that as long as you are committed to figuring things out for yourself and figuring things out with 
amazing partners like you, that you will survive. No one, no one in this life will escape different situations or challenges or hurdles. But how we deal with those hurdles when we're faced with them, how do we deal with these different issues when we face with them will make a difference. Yeah. So my message to, to everyone is continue to um, remain focused um, on the important things. Don't be distracted. Don't go to and fro. Stay focused on the important things. Keep small things small. And, and one of the things that I've, I've often said to people is that you're either going to major in the minors or you're going to major in the majors. And Great that, advice. Is really, that is really up to that individual. Great you know, advice. It's your choice. It, it, is, it is ultimately up to you. And, um, and encourage people to, you know, to continue to, to do what's necessary to be successful for themselves and for their family and the community. Yeah. So when, when you're looking at prison reform or prison, um, you know, earlier this week, I was with the Department of Corrections and, you know, grappling with the fact of women in prison need to be connected to OBGYN services. Men and women in prison need computer services. I mean, they need to help them out with their math skills so they can pass tests. Um, you know, if there were three things that you think are lacking in prison in America today or New York today, what would those three things be? I mean, for me, they would be, you know, computers, it'd be healthcare services and medical services and some level of specialized training. If, if you could look, if, if Dominic says, you know, based on my experience, based on all my time with Michael, based on all my time with documentaries and other people I talk to, what are the, if, if Dominic could be king for a day. What are the three things you want to change in, in American prisons? Thank you. So I, I keep it simple. Mine's, mine's a little bit different. Um, but the first thing I would say is that if we worked harder to focus on people and not prisons, people and not policies, we would be much, much better off. So the things that I would focus on is hope, I would focus on love and I would focus on compassion and empathy. Those are the things that I would focus on. If we could do that as a society, if a commissioner of corrections or a deputy commissioner or elected officials could focus on those things when they look at those people, the policies that they would shape, how prisons are yeah. written would be different. We wouldn't be computers and math and all of those things would be really easy things to because that would come if you want to give hope. That would come if you have love. That would have become compassion. Absolutely. But I don't know if it's it's hard though, Dom, to think you're going to change somebody's heart or somebody. You know, how do you look into somebody's soul? How do you look into somebody's heart and say, "All right"? You know what? Most things, most things. Um, when you talk about breaking a cycle, when you talk about, uh, you know, accomplishing something having this idea that we can all win, we can all be successful. Of course, that's hard. Yep. Of course, that's hard. It's hard. It's not impossible. Not impossible. So for me, there's a difference. I mean, in general, of course, we're going to run into hardships in life. Of course, we're going to run into hurdles or different situations or circumstances. And we will look at those things and say, wow, you know, this was really challenging. This was really difficult. This was really hard. But it is those individuals who look beyond those things yeah. and focus on the, the big picture, focus on the end game, 
um, says to themselves, you know what? This was hard, but it's not impossible. And it was worth fighting worth for. Doing. It was so worth right having thing. the courage. So it's absolutely, absolutely. And the willingness to get it done. Yeah. So, so you look at virtues, you look at character, you look at virtues, you look at like, and your point is, if you get the right leader, if you get her, him in there, and they have the right heart, the right head, the right soul, all these changes are going to come about. I, I feel like, I feel like that's what we have to look at first, because if we look beyond that, then, you know, of course, different things are going to happen. People have different ideas, different agendas. You know, if we look at those three things that we talked about. Those are central core ideas about yep. people's character, about humanity and seeing yep. people as people and human beings. And 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 it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Like if you were just to put yourself in those individual's shoes or that was your children or your grandparents or your granddaughter or grandmother in prison and just showed a little mercy. Yeah. Um, then. You know, I think things would be totally different. And I think it has to start there. It can't start. And I know that that's difficult, right? But I mean, yep. so what? <laughs> you know, to yep. me, something being difficult, something being hard is not a reason to, to uh, avoid it. Or to to duck yeah, it. Not, yeah. So can we just talk about like, you know, a lot of the guys and gals, but let's just talk for a second for the guys that I work with. Mm -hmm. uh, we work have the privilege of serving. Um You know, you, you're concerned about the the numbers that are going through prison, concerned with um, how they view prison, and how do we sort of change, how to go to your point, hope, right? So, I mean, when you're living in public housing, there's not a lot of hope, there's not a lot of businesses, there's not a lot of job training. Um, some of these guys think their life is going to be short fast and furious how do how do we change that Mike? how do we change that dom how do we change the the attitude that all right you know by the time i'm 30 by the time i'm 35 by the time i'm 25 whatever 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 how how do we give that hope how do we give that love and compassion i think you bring people into the room who've had those same experiences and say listen i was that individual i was that person my record in prison over 21 years with a life sentence. Yeah. The fact that I came up in a poor community, underserved. I had problems, you know, with education. I had. By the way, just for a second, can we just talk about how crazy that was to have a life sentence? I mean, like, yeah, I like it's just like for a second, like I was just with and my friend Calvin Bass, who did like 38 years. It's just. He went in when he was 14. He was at the scene of a crime at felony murder. He, he was the driver. I mean, like, what does that do to you when you get that kind of sentence? Like, what went through your head? I know that we're um, finishing the other thought, and I apologize. Yeah, yeah, no, no. What, what went through my head was, I'm going to die in prison. What went through my head is insanity is about to creep in on me. But thankfully, I had someone who was in my corner, my wife, I had my twin brother, I had Michael, who said, listen, we're going to get through this. This is not going to be easy. Make no mistake about it. But you need to be hopeful. And if you're not hopeful, you're going to be hopeless. And that is a dark place to be at. 
So yeah. those are the things that went through my head when I was sentenced to more time in prison than I had lived on the planet. And, uh, and that was a scary place for me. That was a scary time for me. But um, thank God we were, the tide was able to turn. And, and I realized that I could be of service right where I was at. You talked about that a little while ago. When, when is the moment that you learned that you could be of service? When was that? When did you have that, that inspiration? Yeah, that was for me, that was really early on. It was actually right after I had received my sentence when most people are just saying, oh, I'm just going to get violent. I'm going to embrace all these ideologies about um, being in prison. So I'm going to act like a prisoner and not a person. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to accept these titles and these concepts that most people in the public have about people who are serving long sentences. I wanted to be different. And I wanted what, to say why that. is that? Why is that? Um, what, what about Dominic DuPont made you choose a different re or helped you to choose a different reaction? What made me choose a different reaction was how I was raised. I, I didn't want to send my mother to her grave worrying about me. I didn't want to send my grandmother, Michael's mother, to her grave worrying about me because I was in prison and I was in a dangerous place. And I wanted them when they hear things about me i wanted them to hear that you know good things who who is this like 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 why is this guy even here and and i knew that that meant for me to be an example and for me true leadership um is about being an example and it's about service and i knew that i had the ability in a dark place like that to be a light and uh, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to honor my mother and my grandmother and Michael and my family in that way. So how do we get more for for a moment, more young guys to be in that that healthy, that compassionate, that loving place? I, I think we continue to uh, bring people to the table who have had similar experiences. I think that's how we do it. And I think that we, you know, like I said, I'll be the first to say, you know, that's a lot of work to walk into a space and say, listen, I've been through this, I've been through that. And, you know, this is how I overcame it. These are the tools, these are the skill set that, that would be needed to be successful. And that can be difficult sometimes depending on what an individual is going through. People respond differently to, and, and, are and they may not have a mother that love or that's exactly. involved in their life. They may exactly. not have a grandmother that's, they, they may, may not, not have themselves, a, right? Yep. So that, 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 you know, but, I think, like I said, the key to having this conversation is to, to, you know, listen, I don't think no one, most people that I've come in contact with who are in prison don't want to be in prison. Yeah, of course. Now, how you conduct yourself to not be in those situations, how you conduct yourself to stay out of those situations is, is really another conversation. But I think that those are things that we need to remind people of as they're having uh uh, and hardship or, or reacclimating and reintegrating back into the community. And we have to be honest with people about, you know, what are the things that they're going to face? Certain things prison is not going to prepare you for. Exactly. We need people on the outside to help them be able to figure those, these tough situations out. So when we talk about reentry and you talk about, you know, healthcare, you're talking about housing, you're talking about food, you're talking about your relationships, you're talking about work. And we're talking about everything. We're, we're talking, talking about, about everything, everything right? We're talking about reentry. And, and one of the what, things, one of the things I like to remind people of, 
governor, is that reentry is a process. Yeah, amen. It's a process. It starts from the inside out. It transcends outside. But what I've also learned is that there's certain things that you cannot rush about reentry. There's certain things that you will just not be prepared for, even if you think you are. You won't. You will be surprised. So this idea, this concept that, um, you know, you're immediately ready without any bumps or any hurdles. You're, it's not going to happen. I'm here to let people know that you've been bamboozled. You've been hoodwinked. That, but how you handle those situations, those bumps, those hurdles, when they, when you're presented and confronted with them, will change the trajectory of how successful you are. So, so that point I wanted to drill down on. So, is there is there a rule that was in Dominic's head? Um, you know, we say do the next right thing, do God's will, whatever. Was there was there something? Because I always say to the guys, like, I'm not going to be around for every decision you make. Uh, we show the clip from Dr. Martin Luther King um, when he's at Memphis and he says, you know, I've been to the mountaintop. Uh, I've seen, seen the, promise, yeah. the promised land. I mean, I get there with you tonight, but I know we as a people are, are going to get to the promised land. And then he talks about longevity has its place. But I just want to do God's will. And, you know, he says before that, I don't fear any man. I just want to do God's will in my life. You know, so and we show that clip. I mean, not to to proselytize, but for us, it's doing the next right thing. And here's Dr. King, all different kinds of threats on his life. And he's he just wants to do God's will as he understands it. So what's the rule? And, you know, we help with Medicaid and IDs and, and jobs and housing and what but what's the rule that's in dominic's head when he first comes out that helps him do the next right thing what's the guiding principle is there one absolutely and what what would that be prison is not an option so what gets you to not what gets you to live that prison's not an option is there a rule is there a guide or is it yeah, I mean the 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 guide is for me is that, and it's you know for me it's really simple. It's to keep small things small. The guide don't, is that don't don't nothing. get into the chaos. Don't get you know the you so know so many guys get in the chaos with the with the girlfriend or the the, the this or the rule or the yeah. rental. It's yeah, like crazy. I mean, it is. It is. I mean, but that that road is broad. It's the narrow road. Uh, and and you have an ability to focus and to not be distracted. So what which, gives you that, what, what you just said is important. How do you teach the lesson to control what you can control and what you can't control just to put in, you know, to put on the shelf? How, how do you teach that lesson? I mean, for me, I think the best way to teach it is to be an example, to be an example. I, you know, you can't necessarily, you know, people have different ways. People respond to things differently, but I could say to someone, you know, listen, you know, you want to be successful, you know, follow me. You, if you're having different, I'm positive that there are tons of things that I've experienced that are reminiscent to the clients that you have and as, as a service provider and, just loving up on people. But I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of those things that I deal with. 
that they're dealing with. But we have to be mindful how we respond to those things. Yeah. And how do you change those behaviors? Right, Dom? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think the best way is to be honest with yourself, to understand that if you don't want to, if you don't want prison to be an option, if you don't want to have the possibility of dying in prison, if you want to enjoy the finer things in life, like having the ability to go for a walk or to, you know, get yourself a soda, you know, to, to, to do simple things like not request permission when to go to the bathroom and to not be strip searched and to go through all of those terrible things that people go through while they're incarcerated. You know, I just think for a half a second about those things. And I say to myself, my best day in prison can't be better than my worst day in the community. Amen. It's mathematically impossible. It's impossible. And those are the things that I think about when I say to myself, oh, you know what? You know, this guy made me upset, cut me off. Maybe I want to stray away. Maybe I want to say some things that I shouldn't say. But I also say to myself, what, you know, what is that going to, what is that going to accomplish? What is that going to lead to? Yeah. And, and if it isn't going to lead to anything positive, then it's probably not worth it to engage in that type of stuff. And those are the things that I try to remind myself of when I'm dealing with different things that uh, may make me upset or cause me to, to go off course. So you think it through, you have a sense of awareness, a sense of focus, and that pulls you back from the edge. Absolutely. I, I just see so many guys and some gals almost, you know, engaging in the same behaviors, the same chaos. Um, like, you know, I'm blessed. Our reincarceration rate is phenomenally low. But for some of the guys and gals, we lose, um, which is heartbreaking. It's, 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 I don't know, but it's almost as if sometimes, Dom, they're in a play and they can't get out of it because they're repeating the same actor's lines. And yeah. that's, you know, with the chaos, with the violence, whatever. But I mean, you at some point in time, and I think it's what you said, it's hope, it's love, it's compassion said, hey, shit, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to yeah. do something different. And that's why I'm sure your wife and and you married well, um, I'm sure Thank she, you. you know, she had a profound impact on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like in the, in the time we've got left, I just want you to, so, you know, Michael's got this great legacy character act. So how do you preserve that legacy within, or how do you not just preserve, how do you promote that legacy, particularly in terms of some of the things you were doing on the documentary and docudramas on, on criminal justice reform? How would you want that platform to be um, something strong and something powerful to build upon? What's your vision? Well, thank you for asking that question, Governor. Let, let me first say, as long as I have breath and life in me, Michael's legacy will be something that resonates with the world. Amen. I want to be crystal clear about that. Um, as far as how do we do that, how do we accomplish that? We continue to do what Michael was doing when Michael was on the earth as Michael watches us from heaven. And the way that we do that is we continue to do the work 
of I've had multiple conversations with people who are willing to contribute and support the work that we were doing for Michael's foundation, making kids win. Yeah. You know, we are in the process of having conversations about how do we continue uh, the work that he was doing through his uh, production company, Freedom, and his legacy will continue that I, as long as I have breath in me. And I'm, I'm positive about that. So um, how do we accomplish that work? We continue to uh, have the blessing that we have on platforms like the one I'm speaking on this afternoon with you and others to uh, make sure that, you know, Michael's life and legacy stays relevant and we do the work. It's that simple. And I love it. Do the work, right? Yeah. It's it's do the work. And and I just want to share and, and thank you for allowing us to dedicate our Newark reentry site to dedicate it to Michael K. Williams. And and we wanted to do it special and be respectful of the family. And God willing, you'll be able to speak and Absolutely. members of the family on uh we're gonna do it two days before Thanksgiving on November twenty-third. And a day after Michael's birthday. Yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you, Rob Carter, to mention that. So, yeah, and it just, um, it's an opportunity that, you know, I remember Michael being there and the attorney general wanted the picture taken and this legislator and that person, but it was also most importantly for the guys and gals we have the privilege of serving. They saw Michael as a transformative figure on the screen, but he was also, as you shared, a transformative figure in real life. And that's what's so precious about your words today, it's that Michael brought that sense of hope and brought that sense of change. And so uh, at the Michael K. Williams, you know, at, at a reentry site, he'll continue to do that. So any 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 last words, Dom? Yeah, Governor, just uh, keep up the amazing work that you're doing, that your staff is doing there in New Jersey. Uh, we're so appreciative for this opportunity. And we look forward to continuing this working relationship as we honor Michael's legacy. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor and privilege. It's great, Tom. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for your your compassion, your hope, and your love. Godspeed. Thank you, Governor. Thanks, Godspeed. my friend. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye.